Hello and welcome to the NBA Next Podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I am joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Keith, you can literally play what is next financially in the NBA on SpotTrack.com right now. Uh, last night we launched our uh, beta version of our trade machine. We've been working diligently between you and I in testing and tweaking and getting it to a point where we can at least give it a shot here. So we've launched it for the, the last two weeks here before the trade deadline. Initial thoughts uh, with the new trade machine. Yeah, <clears throat> I think it is awesome that it is out there. We know there are things that we still need to tighten up and fix, and that's been the been the plan all along is, uh, you know, with anything like this, the minute you put it into the world, someone's going to break it because they're going to do something bananas that we never would have thought of. Um, but you know what? That's how it works in the real CBA too. Uh, sometimes I have to go back and say, geez, you know, we, we never really factored in this scenario because we didn't think it would be a thing that would happen. But here we are. Um, I'm so happy that it's it's out in the world for everyone to play with. And I, obviously there's some bias in here, but I think the work you know that you have done on this, Scott, is creating a tool that is better than any other one that's out there. One, we know it's accurate as far as the rosters go. Uh, this is not going to be something where a trade was made or a player was waived or signed and it's three weeks later, you'll finally get the right guys in there where it's going to be right updated with the rest of our stuff uh, as we go through it. Um, and then the things you can do as far as trading picks and draft rights and using trade exceptions and all that stuff, the logic is all solid and, and in there. So I'm super excited. I think people are going to love uh, using this. People love making fake trades. So we, <laughs> we know people are going to be all about this. Yeah, the level of detail that went into it was, uh, you know, I've tried this a couple different times and you coming along helped with getting the draft picks in. I wouldn't have been able to do that without uh, all the work that you've done on that end as far as, you know, being able to do the picks. The, that is one area that we still have to sort of clean up a little bit and figure out how to handle the protections on certain things. But I mean, we'll get there. Uh, that's why we wanted to launch it here with two weeks till the trade deadline just to get get its feet wet see how it's going to operate what you know like you said someone will find a way to break it or find something that is missing yep. you know out of a list of you know a thousand different things something's going to <laughs> potentially get missed even though you can go over it with as many fine tooth combs as as possible so uh, i uh i am looking forward to seeing you know people taking their screenshots uh you know, in, in, in operating with it and seeing what they come up with. And so far, so good. Uh, but keep the feedback coming. You can uh, contact us through Keith or uh, at SpotTrack on Twitter. Which leads us to our Miami Heat, Charlotte Hornets trade. Rozier goes back to the Heat. Lowry goes back to the Hornets uh, in a trade that uh, gives Miami an upgrade. In Charlotte, they bring on Lowry and they get a pick. So I'm, my guess, Keith, is that this was more about uh, we want the pick than, than 
really wanting Lowry back. Is that correct? Yeah, 100%. Kyle Lowry is strictly salary matching in this deal from the Hornets' perspective, really from the Heat's perspective too, I guess. But it, it was about getting that uh, first-round pick. It's it's lottery-protected a few years from now. I believe it's a 2027 pick. And then there's some conditions because the Heat also owe a pick to the Thunder. So if that one doesn't convey, the earliest the Hornets will get this is 2028. But in 2028, they it becomes unprotected. So Charlotte's set up well, they're either going to get a non-lottery pick in 2027 or they're going to get a completely unprotected pick in 2028. Uh, that's In NBA terms, that might as well be a million years from now because who knows what the Heat will be uh, by the time we get there. They'll probably be good because they're one of those organizations that just rolls things over from year to year and manages to stay pretty solid. But we'll, we'll see. And for the Hornets, they also clear Rozier's salary off the books for next year. Lowry's on an expiring contract. He clearly won't be back. I'll put it this way. If Kyle Lowry is on the Hornets roster, uh, much past like the morning of February 9th, the day after the trade deadline, I'll be shocked. They're going to do their best to trade him. And if they can't find a trade, he'll, he'll get bought out and he'll be off to join whatever non apron team can sign him and uh, go from there. So, so we'll see. You know, where that part of this goes, but I think the important thing for the Hornets, in addition to the draft pick, is they went from about 21-ish million dollars in potential cap space uh, for next season to now we're projecting them to have up over uh, uh, 45 million dollars in cap space, and that's huge for a team that is set about rebuilding under new ownership. Uh, they're really moving in a different direction there in Charlotte. So are both of these teams done? I know we're going to get the buyers and sellers, but do you foresee the Heat making another move or are they pretty much uh, set with the team that they have right now, now that they've had their point guard upgrade? Yeah, I think Miami will keep looking. Their problem is they're about out of tradable stuff. Uh, That pick that they traded was about the last draft pick that they could reasonably trade without getting into, let's add in 900 conditions on this. Um, tradable salary wise it's the all the the bigger salaries belong to guys like jimmy butler bam out of bio tyler hero now terry rogier those guys obviously aren't going anywhere so then you're looking at duncan robinson at about 18 million or so that maybe maybe caleb martin's 6.8 million a lot of that depends on what they think of martin it is player option and they're going to resign him next year so I, I because I don't foresee anything coming with a uh, blockbuster trade that involves Tyler Hero getting moved, I, I think we are at the point where we're probably just going to see the um, the Heat you know run it out with this team uh, for the rest of the year. See if they can get them playing uh, better on a more consistent basis with Rozier, and go from there. The Hornets absolutely not done. They're going to keep looking for trades. These these are all the guys on the Hornets that that they won't trade. LaMelo Ball, Brandon Miller, Mark Williams. That's the entire list. Everybody else on their roster, give them a call. They're at least willing to have a discussion. So that's guys like Miles Bridges. That one's complicated because he has a no-trade clause because he's on a one-year deal with bird rights that he would lose if he's traded. So that becomes a... a uh, challenge to work around he would have to be very happy with where he's going 
Gordon Hayward, challenge with him is $31.5 million expiring contract. We already said they're going to continue to explore trades for Kyle Lowry. And then even a guy like PJ Washington, who's on a three-year uh, deal that is worth uh, $46.5 million, but descends from $16.8 million this year down to $14.1 In its final year, he's somebody that could interest teams. A guy like Nick Richards makes $5 million flat over the next three seasons. A very interesting player, especially if uh, they're ready to move um, on in Charlotte and give all those minutes to Mark Williams. So it's going to be a really interesting uh, next couple of weeks for the Hornets because they just have so many players still in play. So does the Rozier uh, acquisition by Miami, do you foresee them really contending in the East now? I mean, right now with the standings, they're in, in seventh place in the play-in tournament, but do you foresee them uh, potentially having a deep run in the playoffs now that they have Rozier in a solid point guard instead of a, a, a you know a, a point guard that is not really there or wasn't really there for them yeah I mean yeah with Lowry if people haven't paid attention because he's tipped into the territory where I, I use the phrase the player becomes more name than game and that's kind of where we're at with Kyle Lowry he's lost a lot of his quickness he's not able to do a lot of things that he used to be able to do as far as creating shots for himself and others. And it, defensively, he's really, really slipped. Rogier should be a massive upgrade offensively. And then defensively, he hasn't been very good the last few years, but nor, nor have the Hornets been very good the last few years. So I think he's got the ability to pick up his defensive intensity. As far as him being a contender, I mean, all signs point towards no. And I want to say no, but it's Miami. Like, this is what they do. They kind of just get through the regular season, and then they turn it on when they get to the playoffs. So if we're uh, sitting here, what, five-ish months from now? Well, that's a little late. That'd be the NBA Finals. But four months from now, at the end of May, and Miami's in the Eastern Conference Finals, it's not going to surprise me. There's the talent is there. I, I just – this year feels a little bit different. It feels like everything's a little bit off kilter there, so I don't think that'll be how it goes. But it wouldn't shock me either. Griffin is out in Milwaukee. Doc Rivers is in. They pulled the trade debt, or they pulled this trigger to move off of their head coach, even though they were second in the standings. They bring in Doc Rivers. Uh, my guess, Keith, is they wanted to have this done now to give them a little bit of a buffer before the trade deadline so that Doc Rivers can come in. Uh, assess what needs to happen, what players may need to go, what players they may want to bring in. Um, so let's start with there. Is that their their motive for pulling the trigger now as opposed to two or three weeks from now? I think it was just time. I think they okay. felt like it was, this is not working and it's not going to get better. So I, which I agree with. I think if you hit a point with a coach and, and to a lesser extent with a player, because that's harder to work through, but especially with a coach where you feel this is just not working uh, the way we want it to. I think um, the worst thing teams do is just hope it'll get better and hang on forever. Now, kudos to the Bucks, small market team that is deep into the luxury tax and is also now they're playing both Mike Budenholzer and Adrian Griffin to not coach for them. 
and they gave Doc Rivers a pretty hefty contract for the next three and a half years to come in and coach. So I think they, they made the move just with the idea of it's time. Like guys are unhappy. Things aren't really getting better. It seems crazy because at the time they had the second best record in the NBA, but I think they decided Let, let's go, let's get this moving in a different direction and, and let's try to with half a season or so left, let's try to really get things pushed in the right way. So doc can come in, get it, get the team playing the way he wants them to play ahead of the playoffs. Yeah, I believe the uh, reported contract is three and a half years for around $40 million. So we're talking about, you know, between 10 and $11 million there uh, per season for him, uh, which gets him through the 26-27 season. So, you know, he they're giving him time as far as that is concerned. Um, so at the trade deadline, what – what do you think Milwaukee, what do you think Doc Rivers is going to focus on? Are there players that are untouchable? Obviously Giannis, but other than Giannis and, and Dame, is there a player that you foresee not fitting Doc Rivers' style? I don't know about not fitting Doc Rivers' style, I don't, and I don't know that they're going to make moves based on that. I think the thing is, it's just hard for the Bucs to make trades. Their their biggest salaries are Damon Giannis, both on max deals, over forty five point six million each. Then you've got Chris Middleton, twenty nine million, Brooke Lopez, twenty five million. Those guys are all those are four starters. None of them are gonna go anywhere because they're important players to the Bucks. So then you start, all right, well, what are our next reasonable contracts? So it's Bobby Fortis at eleven point seven million. Well, hugely important player as their sixth man, as their backup front court guy. So if Giannis misses any time or if uh, Brooke Lopez misses any time, it's Portis who gets plugged in uh, right away. So then you move down. The next guy is Pat Connaughton at about $9.4 million, And that turns into, all right, maybe. That may be where we see uh, some trade maneuverability for the Bucks. Connaughton is a good player. He's an important rotation player. But he's the guy, I think, if Milwaukee said, yeah, we can get an upgrade, it's probably going to be Connaughton. But they are out of draft capital to trade because they had traded basically everything uh, for um, uh, between the Drew Holiday deal with New Orleans originally and then the Dame Lillard trade with Portland. They just don't have any tradable good draft picks. They've got a couple of seconds that they could move, but even those they're way down on because they traded something like four or five of them to get Jay Crowder last year. So we're, we're in a spot where I think Milwaukee is probably kind of are what they are. I don't even know that they're going to be major players on the buyout market because they're restricted. Like they could not sign a guy like Kyle Lowry because they're over the tax apron so that that would restrict them from signing Kyle Lowry. So, so you're in a spot where, I think we see this team kind of look like what it is for the rest of the season. And then maybe in the off season, if, if they fall short of their goals, which honestly it's got to be finals or bust uh, for this Bucks team. If they fall short, then you're looking at, all right, we've got to uh, maybe make some tough, tougher decisions that could involve like a Chris Middleton or maybe even Brooke Lopez or something like that. This is all hypothetical right now, but do you think the Bucks need to potentially operate like the Denver Nuggets did a little bit towards, you know, going into the uh, offseason where they 
sold or sent some cash to get second round picks. Do you think that might be something they do at this trade deadline just to try to acquire a bit more picks, knowing that they're pretty much handcuffed from their roster standpoint? It could be. And that's a great point because this is the last chance to use cash like that in trades um, for a team like Milwaukee, because they, they project to be a team that's up and over the apron, if not the second apron uh, for years to, to come here. So like next year, by the time they fill out their roster, they, they would be a second apron team again, barring major roster changes where they, they remove some guys. So I think what happens in the case of a team like the Bucks, uh, if you're over the second apron, as soon as their season ends this year, cash can't be the only thing you send in a trade. So the, the old days of, all right, we'll buy a second round pick that that's out the window. You're not allowed to do that anymore. So I think what we could see instead uh, with Milwaukee is they do something like that now where it's, all right, Hey, we're going to trade uh, just cash to try try to buy a couple second rounders and see what we can do. If nothing else, even if you don't use them by this trade deadline, you have them in, in, you know, in your kind of vault for use when you get down the line as far as draft trades or next off season and those kind of things. So that, that's a great point. It's, it's something we may see a handful of these second apron teams do, which is just try to buy some second round picks. And the first place I would call would be Oklahoma city because they're sitting on something ridiculous, like 20 of them. Uh, so which clearly they're never going to use all of them. And if you're Oklahoma city, Hey, if we could sell each one for, you know, 2 million bucks or something, uh, you know, we, we could, bring in you know maybe you know 10 12 million dollars just by selling off some seconds we probably don't need uh to ever use down the line and that's just you know money in ownership's pocket and that that's a way i think sam Presley could say hey remember when we made you that 12 million bucks well i need 12 million dollars to re-sign player x or whatever it may be down the line and that's just you know good good work by the front office and ownership in tandem west on sell jr is out as the head coach in Washington. Brian Keefe, if I'm saying that yep. last name correctly, is in as the interim head coach. Keith, why, why make this move now? I, we know the Washington Wizards are a sinking ship right now. We know they're trying to sort of, you know, just tank and acquire assets and, and try to right the ship from uh, the last few years and trying to go in the right direction. Um, but, but why make this move now? It's not like he's out, he's out as head coach, but from the report I saw, he's being moved to the front office. So he's still going to have some, uh, some say in the wizards. So what is the reasoning justification for pulling this trigger now, as opposed to just letting him ride out the rest of the season and then getting a, a new head coach in the off season? Yeah. And I, I, I think when it all is said and done on the idea of him being in the front office, we're going to find out that's like, uh, well, one of those mafia no-show jobs, like, <laughs> you're, right. you're going to get paid and you don't have to actually come around. I think that was more of a, Hey, let's save a little face here. Let's uh, you know, do this. As far as why now, I think, again, I think the wizards probably looked at it and said, it's time. Uh, Wes Unsell Jr. Did a pretty good job his first couple years in Washington with a team that was quite frankly, as they had been for years was let's just chase a playoff spot. We don't need to really contend, um, but we don't want to be terrible. We we're, we're good with seventh or eighth seed. And he kept them in that contention. Then they finally kind of pulled the trigger and said, we're, we're hiring a whole new front office and we're going to give them 
really uh, full carte blanche to tear this thing apart, tear it down all the way. Uh, and they started that process last year, and that's going to continue. I, I wrote about this on the site, and then we talked about it too. The Marvin Bagley trade signaled to me for the Wizards, hey, we're eating money next year. We're not trying to be a cap space team. We're not trying to spin this rebuild around super quickly. We're good with just we're going to move along now. We're, we're going to uh, take this. If this takes a couple years, that's going to be what it is. So I think the idea now is maybe they felt like the young guys weren't developing enough under Wes Unseld Jr. Maybe it was the case of, you know, we're, we're playing a couple guys too many minutes and we've talked about it. It's not changing. You know, where do we go? Because a coach in game, everybody talks about tanking and all those things. But players and coaches, especially in game, they don't tank. It, it's not like Wes Unsell Jr. is going to look up and say, holy cow, we're down one with two minutes to go, put in the you know 12th through 15th men on the bench. That doesn't happen. That's that's not a thing teams do. And the league would really be all over. But you tanking at that level is more like, oh, this guy's kind of got an ankle injury. He's going to sit out a week and those kind of things. Those are the things that happen there. But in game, you run with it. But sometimes the front office may be looking at it and saying, uh, man, Kyle Kuzma is playing 35 minutes a night, and that's too high. I know he's not playing quite that many, but we want Palau Koulibaly to start getting close to 30 minutes a night, get him out there more. And it might be a situation where Wes Unsell Jr. was just game to game was, I'm still trying to win these games, and I, and I don't feel like I can work them in. So that's where we get to with these situations. And now they get a little bit of a jump on, Let's see what it looks like as far as every available coach or coaches who may come available. No, this job is open now. You're not competing with maybe three or four other teams on the day after the end of the regular season for your next coach. And, and you can really start the process of identifying whoever you think it is to kind of lead you forward in this whole thing. East buyers and sellers posted that article you're working on the west right now uh I, I want people to go and take a look and read how you broke this down you did it for each team approach at the deadline and then the ideal approach at the deadline uh i, I really like how you broke that down so i want people to go take a look and read for themselves so let's focus on who do you think out of the east will be the biggest buyer yeah, it's tough in the East because you've got teams like Boston, Milwaukee. They 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 would very much love to be buyers, but we already covered it with the Bucs, and the Celtics are in the same place as far as matching salary goes. They just don't have a lot to go buy with um, at this point. I think that the two contender teams that I think people should really have an eye on is Philadelphia, obviously. Uh, they've got a million expiring contracts. They've got a ton of... Um, salary cap flexibility moving forward. It's just going to come down to, can Daryl Morey find the right deal? Uh, we know he's going to do something. Daryl Morey is, I like to call him the tinkerer because he's always tinkering with the end of his roster, if nothing else. So he's going to do something. The question is, does he go all in? Does, does some player that he feels like this is the guy that can lift us right now and we're good with having him moving forward? Is that the kind of move? And then the other team is the New York Knicks. They, they're sent signals to just about everybody that they're not done. They're, they're still looking. They've got Evan Fournier's contract that they can use. They've got some first-round 
uh, draft picks that they can use in trades. They didn't give up any of that stuff in the OG and Anobi deal. So I think you're going to see the Knicks go. And then one kind of stealth buyer that I think people should keep an eye on, the Orlando Magic. I think there's a chance the Magic say, yeah, let's jump in. Like, we're we're ready to, to go. It's time to push this thing forward. We've got some expiring or pseudo-expiring contracts that we could trade. Let's try to really make something happen here. Yeah, I agree with those, especially the, the, the 76ers and the Knicks being in the third spot and the fourth spot, respectively. You know, whatever they can do to help themselves uh, get past the Celtics, We'll see what the Bucs, I mean, we just talked about them. They made the move for a reason because they didn't think they were going to necessarily make it deep into the playoffs. So if the 76ers and the Knicks can do whatever they can to shore themselves up to, you know, get past those teams, then, uh, you know, kudos to them. What about the Cleveland Cavaliers? They seem like a team that they're in the fifth spot right now. Uh, they, they bought out Ricky Rubio. They have all of those injuries that we've talked about and you wrote a piece about. Is that a team that you think is going to be a buyer or are they going to be a seller where we see a blockbuster where they, they decide to send off Donovan Mitchell? I mean, I know that's a, a hot take per se, but you know that team to try to get past the Knicks, the 76ers, the Celtics, they seem like a team that you know being in that fifth spot, they may need to make a move as well to try to really contend here in the immediacy. Yeah. I'll pour cold water all over the Mitchell stuff. It just, if anything, that's a, this summer thing. That's only if Mitchell either one says I want to be traded or if the Cavs are like, uh, wait a minute. Like, what do you mean? You're not willing to do an extension or anything like that. Or especially if he qualifies for the uh, so-called supermax. And then doesn't sign it, then that's a you know that's a warning flag that you gotta gotta you know heed very quickly. But this year they need him. Like they 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 have no intention of taking major steps back. Darius Garland's still out for a little while longer, so they really need Mitchell. And they're playing great basketball right now, so I think they would prefer to try and buy. Their challenge is they just don't have a lot to put into trades. Buying out Rubio is probably the right decision from a. Uh, you know, human standpoint, just let's get it done. It did get them, you know, uh, some clearance on the luxury tax, which frees up some wiggle room and the like, but it removed a very tradable asset that you could have had because you could have moved in to, to the trade deadline period, traded Rubio, let another team handle his contract situation and go from there. So now we're kind of like with the other teams, all their best tradable salary is tied up in, rotation guys i think probably isaac okoro maybe karis lavert maybe one of the two of them is their best trade asset in cleveland as far as uh it goes matching salary wise but they're both key rotation guys lavert's the team six man okoro is their best perimeter defender so i'm just not sure if there's another kind of bigger thing coming for the Cavs. and let's remember they don't have a lot to trade draft pick wise because they traded a whole lot to get Donovan Mitchell. So, so I think we're probably going to see this team uh, count on. We're playing pretty good right now, and we're going to get Evan Mobley back and Darius Garland back. Those will be kind of their their uh, somewhat their trade deadline acquisitions that I'm putting very much in quotes over here. So I think that turns into uh, let's um you know look at it this way and try to get things moving in a little bit of a different different direction 
just by getting guys back internally. And and that's how we're going to climb and be a, a bigger playoff threat. All right, so let's go to the biggest seller. I mean, there's a handful of teams yeah. that you know are rumored to be sellers. We'll see if it really comes to fruition. I mean, you've got the Bulls, the Hawks, the Nets. We already talked about the Hornets, the Wizards. You know, uh, the Pistons are the only team that we really hadn't talked about that could be a seller. And there was a rumor yesterday that I saw that you know the Levine for you know Kate Cunningham or some other potentials. So I don't even know where that's going to go, but. Who's going to be your biggest seller out of the the bottom half of the Eastern Conference? Yeah, I so let's pause on the Pistons for a minute because they're in a very weird spot. Normally, you would look at it and say, "All right, well, they're a seller. It's everybody who's not on kind of a rookie deal. Like, let's let's move on. Like, Boyan Bogdanovich, Alec Burks, uh, guys like Joe Harris. Like, let let's get those guys moving. Um, but there's a sense with the Pistons of they're not just going to give the veterans away. They're, they're not going to take, you know, they're not out on the lawn with a uh, uh, best offer gets it kind of thing. It's going to be a, yeah, we, we got to figure this out. Like this is a different, different place. So I think um, with the Pistons, their, their approach is going to be, Hey, if we find the right deal for these vets, let's, let's make it happen. Otherwise I think Detroit is really going to um, go into this. They may be an opportunistic buyer, I, there is interest in the Zach Levine. They've made it clear we're not trading Cade Cunningham, Thompson, Duran, or Ivy for him. None of those guys are available. So think differently if you're uh, if you're other teams, especially the Bulls, um, in a Levine trade. But if they can get somewhere with a Levine trade, I think the Pistons would do it because their hope is, hey, we know we can't salvage this year. This year is a lost cause. But next year, we want to be good. And I think they're going to be looking maybe to poach a veteran or two, especially if they can get them for a uh, less than expected cost. Let's try to make that happen. Other than that, Charlotte, Washington, we already talked about them. We know they're going to definitely uh, look to move some of their vets. The Hawks are very open for business. The Hawks are a weird space, though, where it's not just a, hey, we're we're dumping guys to to shed salary. It's more of a let's make a rebalancing trade where we can balance out our roster a little bit better. Ideally, clean up our books a little bit long term and kind of move forward with that. So they're, they're going to be an interesting team to watch in that sense. And then the Bulls, Levine may get traded, but the Bulls are also going to be looking to fortify their team because they they have no intentions of uh, dipping all the way out of this thing or becoming a. Um, team that is you know fully rebuilding or anything like that they're sitting ninth in the conference right now they're only a few games behind the magic and i think their hope is hey we might be able to put ourselves in position to maybe catch orlando maybe even catch a miami if things go really well and now we're we're hosting games in the playing tournament i I think they're far enough back they're not really uh, dreaming about the top six uh, at this point but for the bulls they've always been an organization that's been Let's just try to be a playoff team. So they're definitely not going to bottom this out and go the other way. Yeah, it's fascinating. The amount of teams that could be sellers and then, you know, the Bulls, like you said, could be a buyer. Uh, you know, who knows what the Nets, the Hawks, they're they're the Hawks right now. You just don't know yeah. where they're going to go. What's going to happen? Is Murray going to go? Is he not going to go? Uh, it's fascinating to see, you know, where everything's going to go in the next two weeks, because as we've alluded to, there's going to be movement. 
even more than we may be anticipating because of knowing the the new apron rules that are going to handcuff those teams even more. And then the middle, they may sniff that, you know, that play in tournament itself. We've seen the last couple of years, teams push to, if there is a chance, they'll push because they want to at least have a chance to, you know, for their fan base, for revenue, whatever it might be, just to show a glimpse of hope that we're going in the right direction. And, you know, trades at the trade deadline aren't usually the uh you know they don't usually work out completely as teams hope it's usually just you know shifting some chairs on the titanic but uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what these teams actually do because of all the rumors that have gone on i'm hoping that you know we have one or two or three of those big moves instead of you know it being anticlimactic yeah i agree i i I think there's a number of teams where if we really could pour truth serum into them would say you know we're not where we need to be so we need to start moving some stuff around but there are also a number of teams probably somewhere in the range of six seven eight nine maybe even ten teams that feel like they're title contenders and i think you're looking at it and saying why not us like in the west minnesota's had a wonderful uh run so far as is Oklahoma City but Denver the Clippers and the Suns they all feel like yeah that can be us like we can win this thing I think the Lakers still feel like they're in it even if you know I think the rest of us are like "Eh, we'll see with that so I think those teams are really of the mindset of yeah we can you know really make a run here and then in the east Celtics Bucks Sixers for sure but I think teams like the Knicks the Cavs the Heat are hey, we're one move and one upset away from being in on this ourselves. So why, why not? You know, why, why why not kind of load up and make a run at it? There's no, I always say there's no um dynasty warriors hanging over all of this. Where it's like, we're all just kind of playing for second anyway. So what's, you know, why am I going to load up uh, to make this run? These teams are good, solid teams that are in position to really do some stuff. And I, and I think we're going to see movement because of that. And that's before even in the East, you get to a couple teams that are kind of floating around. They're more slipping out of things, but the Nets and the Raptors who have a whole bunch of still tradable guys that they may look and say, all right, you know what? It's really time to lean into this and in not a full rebuild, but let's try to reset and set ourselves up so we can bounce back very, very quickly next season. Then that, that makes them interesting teams too. So it's, it should be a really fun a uh, couple of weeks leading up to the trade deadline. I don't know that we're going to get any of the, oh my gosh, what a mega blockbuster kind of trades, but there's always a chance we get at least one of those. I don't know we're getting a Kevin Durant trade again this year. Those are pretty rare uh, in-season mm-hmm. type boosts for any number of reasons, but I think we could get a pretty big trade, and I think we're going to get several uh, you know, trades that are like, wow, that is really interesting where it's just a team fortifying themselves to make a run. Final question with the East buyers and sellers is, do teams hesitate in dealing with the interconference uh, trades? I mean, we we just saw Miami and Char- uh, Charlotte make a trade, Indiana and Toronto. We saw the Detroit and Washington and the Knicks and Toronto. So all these teams that are in the East making trades with each other. And 
do teams typically try to shy away from it or is it more of what's the best deal that we can get and we really don't care if you're in our conference? Do you, do you have a sense for uh, how teams usually operate from that standpoint? Yeah, it's it's more of the latter there where it is, hey, if this is the best deal, make it. Um, <clears throat> it's not like there used to be in the NBA the thought process of you never make a trade within your own division because then you get to see the guy four times a year and it's just going to be messy for you potentially. There also used to be thoughts around don't um, don't trade within the conference if you can avoid it. But it's become very different. I think in the NBA, there's so many games that the, the handful of games you would see the guy just you, you, you if if those are going to make or break your season, you other things probably went wrong somewhere along the line, too. So now it's turned into, yeah, try to make the very best trade for yourself without getting uh, you know, ridiculous. Now, that said, you're you're not going to see Boston and Milwaukee link up on a trade right now because. Those are two of the best teams that are trying to hunt each other down in the conference. So I, I think that's the difference there where it's the very best teams aren't going to do anything they can do. Like the Bucks people will tell you they knew trading Drew Holiday for Damian Lillard may have resulted in Holiday showing up in Boston and they hated that part of it. But they felt like we had to do it because we had to we, we had to get Damian Lillard. And even knowing Boston could turn right around here and trade for a holiday, but we have to put that out of our minds. And that's just, just a different way of thinking where it just gets kind of different for, for, uh, for teams than, than it is, especially compared to like, like in the NFL, I think there's still a very much a sense of you can't trade within the division in the NFL, but I think it's even kind of changing there too, where some teams are like, Hey, we got to make the right deal for us. And we'll worry about the future down the line. All right. East, East and Buyers and sellers is out. Take a look, see what you think. West is on the heels of that. Um, and then any trade breakdowns, we, Keith's been writing them furiously after the uh, <laughs> trade happens and we, we get them up and they've been great. Uh, we've been using them. Mike's been using them. Uh, so keep those coming, Keith. Anything else besides that right now that you have your eyes set on right now. Everything is focused <laughs> on the trade deadline. It'll be that way for the next uh, couple weeks here until we get past the only other thing, but it's focused on the trade deadline too. It's just slightly different is uh, we'll have a buyout uh, market kind of preview coming where, where we'll, we'll have that. That'll be out just ahead of the trade deadline as well. So if some of these guys aren't moved in trades, guys we think could be available on the buyout market. So we'll, we'll have that ready to go also. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're, uh, you know, really this, this is, this is the time, right? This is the time of year. So, you know, go out there, play with the trade machine. Uh, but we, we say this sincerely, try to break it because that is how we know what we need to fix and, and the things we need to come with and keep sending that feedback, but, but play with it, see what it works. And then, you know, as I you know, said when when I shared it, and I've said multiple times to other people, happy trading because that's what this time of year is all about. Yeah, absolutely, Keith. Absolutely, uh, at Keith Smith NBA on X uh, at Spotrack. If you want to hit myself up or through Mike, uh, he'll pass along the information to me. And Keith, it is Friday, so we'll promote the front office 
Friday live show. Is that correct? <laughs> yep. When does that start today? Yeah, uh, we're going to do 1230 today. Um, people will probably hear this after the fact. But we have uh, Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports is one of the more tapped in uh, insiders in the league joining us uh, as a special guest. And we're, we're going to just get in a million different trade rumors and, and all sorts of stuff and, and all that and uh, uh, go, go from there. So we're super excited about today's show. All right, Keith. Thanks for all the work. Keep it up. We will talk next week and enjoy your weekend. For Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast.